0: Church family, and now we understand what it's like to wear a mask all the time. They have to wear them all the time. And so, uh, but I want to tell you, it's not going to always be like this, folks. And so you just hang on, it will be better. I'll try not to move around too much while we're doing this. We've been talking a lot about cleaning the last few weeks and months, haven't we? We're going to talk some more about cleaning. We're going to talk about when God cleans. And how He cleans. You know, down through the centuries, God has been moving in and moving out of houses. I don't know if you know that or have seen that, but I want you to know that that's what happens. And when a house got dirty, God just moved out. Now, I want you to see how all this happens. You have outlines and someone has made those and placed those on the seats for you. And I am thankful for that. God's first house was his primary house, and that was Adam. And God made Adam a three-room house. He had a mind, he had a will, and he had emotions, he had a spirit in him. And God made him a house of three rooms. But the house got dirty, and God moved out. God just moved out. When Adam sinned, God moved out. And his spirit became dead immediately. God just moved out. He would not live in a dirty house. Progressively, progressively his uh, soul began to die. And ultimately, his body died. So, God, when He left, His Spirit died immediately. He lived to be another 900 years. God's second house was a pattern house. And His pattern house was the temple. The temple also was a house of three rooms. It had a court, an outer court, an inner court, and an innermost court. And you remember when it got dirty, God just moved out. He just moved out of that, that. And the Bible tells us, See, your house is left to you desolate, Matthew tells us. it was just left, God just moved out. So God's primary house, God's pattern house, and then God had a perfect house. His perfect house was His Son. Now His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was just like us. He was a three-room house just like all the others. He was a house with a body, a soul, and a spirit. But the house got dirty. Well, can't God never sinned? No, God never sinned. But the house got dirty. You remember this perfect house. Jesus said of Himself, Destroy the temple, and in three days I will rise up. And then verse 21 of John 2 says... He was, that he was speaking about the temple of his body. He never sinned, but I want you to know something, friend. God placed all the sins of the world, including yours and mine, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God treated his son as a sinner you hear that? Because of my sin and your sin. And you remember on Calvary when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God just moved out. God will not live in a dirty house. But I want you also to understand that God had a final house of these four houses that we've talked about. And the final house is a permanent house. And it's the house of a believer. Paul tried to get this across to those he proclaimed the gospel to. And he said to them, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. That's what he's saying. And then he went on to say, Glorify God in your body. Child of God, if you're born again and a child of God, I just want you to know that when the house gets dirty, God doesn't move out. He cleans house. He cleans house. Because God tells us, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper that, you, that He may abide with you forever. John fourteen sixteen says, He's not going to move out. He's going to abide with you and with me forever as His child. But He'll clean house. He will clean house. Now when you and I, beyond carnal thinking and knowledge, finally come to the understanding that God lives inside of us, it will be a wonderful thing. Most of us do not know that. We do not keep that as a part of our constant thinking. And it just sort of slips past us. It happened the same in Paul's day and it happens in our day as well. Romans 4 8 says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That means he's not going to disgage from you. He's not going to send you off. He will clean house instead. That's what he's telling us. So I want you to know that in our text, and I hope you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at Matthew, the 21st chapter the 12th and the 13th verses. And I want you to see what God said. You can just keep your Bible open to that one. I had all these others before, but I want you to see what God's Word said. I hope you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read those two verses. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 12, God's Word says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And then verse 13, He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers or a den of thieves, your translation might say. That's what God tells us. In fact, you need to understand in this object lesson, God wants us to see and to understand a greater truth and that is that the body of a child of God is the temple of God's presence that He lives in. I was going to do that at the end of the service but I want to do this right now before I pray. Uh, as you probably know, this weekend is a special weekend in our nation. Uh, a Memorial... Day weekend. Actually, the date that our nation c- celebrates, or the time, is at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Will be the time that we're supposed to start. In the late 1860s, just uh, three or four years after the Civil War, our nation, without anybody telling them to, begin to go to the graves of those that had been killed in battle. At that time, were the Civil War veterans or the Civil War casualties. And they would go to the graves and they would decorate them. But I didn't know this till just a few days ago. They always would have a prayer at that time. I remember, i won't be long-winded today. I'm just going to warn you in advance. I have been too long without being able to preach. It's backed up. Uh, but I wanted to tell you, I remember some years ago standing in that Cemetery of 16,000 soldiers in Normandy. I had a cousin that I don't remember. I was too young when he went away. But he was buried there. His family never brought him back. And I stood there. And I'm just going to tell you unashamedly. the I wept. Not only for that cousin of mine, but I wept for all those graves, 16,000 of them, standing up there looking over uh, at the channel, I want to ask you to do something this morning. If you had a member of your family that has given the ultimate sacrifice in war, would you just quietly stand and remain standing for a moment? If you've had somebody in your family that lost their life in one of the wars of this nation you feel free to stand if you've had somebody to do that I stand others have standed, are standing also and would you just pray with me Father this morning as we come to this part of our service Ephesians two seventeen tells us in God's word He came and He preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. Father, that covers all of us. And so, Father, I pray, please, that you would use us, your people at crossroads, to boldly proclaim the gospel of peace right here in Cadiz, right here in our neighborhood, right by our neighbors who live beside us. I pray that. I pray that as your children, those bought by your precious blood, I pray, Father, those of us who know we've been born again, that at this time of crisis in our nation, we would become a tangible reminder of what we deserve as we look at all that's going on around us. But Father, I pray also that we will be those that Your Spirit dwells in and that we can share to those around us who does not have this peace that we can share that with them as well and then Father for those of us who stand and those who know others who may not have been relatives who have made the ultimate sacrifice my prayer is that this weekend and especially tomorrow we would be reminded again that we're here with the peace and the nation that we have because there were men and women who paid the ultimate case, the ultimate sacrifice. They didn't get to come home alive. Their family did not get to have them back. And we rejoice in their price, their payment so that we could have liberty, freedom, and the nation that we love. Bless these families, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Well, we're going to talk about what we've been talking about before we started all of this. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. In the New Testament, God has a people for His temple. That's how he works now. That's the reason that the temples are not those places where he, the building that he's in. You know, we walk in these buildings and there is a holiness about this building. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I want to tell you, this is not where God lives. When you and I walk out of here, his children, he won't be here. As far as that is concerned. We walk into his house and I remember singing a long time ago uh, that, uh, you know, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let everybody remain, uh, I remember how it goes, remain silent. Yeah, I believe that's what it was. And you know, sometimes we walk in here and sometimes as preachers, we want to change our voice. We want to do this or that because there's just something about this. But I just want to tell you, this is not where God lives. It's not the place that he lives. He just lives in his children. But let's talk about the fact that he will not tolerate a dirty house. He will clean it. I want to give you three simple truths. I hope that you'll write those on your outline. I want you to see, first of all, the polluting of the temple. The polluting of the temple. What happened to the temple in Jesus' day? Matthew 21, verse 13 says, You have made it a den of robbers or a den of thieves. That's what it had become. Here's what was happening. And I want you to understand these. The money changers at that time had their booths set up around the temple square. If you've ever been on the temple square, you know a little bit what that looks like. And so what they would do is when a Jew would come to worship, they would travel a lot of times from all over Israel to go to Jerusalem is where they would go to worship the Lord at that time. And so they would not dare give a Roman coin to buy a a sacrifice for the Lord or as an offering. So what they did, they would take the Roman coin and they would exchange it for a Jewish coin. And in order to do so, they had to pay money. The money changers would charge them for an exchange. But that wasn't all that was going on. Then when they went into the temple to worship, they would put their tithe and their love offerings and their sacrifices there, when they were gone, the people in the temple would go and pull that coin back out and reuse it for the next people coming in. It wasn't being kept for the honor of God. And God, has said, God said, You have made my house a den of robbers because you're doing that. That money belonged to God. And that's what He's talking about. These money changers were bypassing God's glory. They were taking from God what belonged to God. Now let's make an application right there about this. How can my life become a place of theft, of being a a thief, a robber? How can it be that way? When I withhold from God what belongs to Him, the glory and the honor that belongs to Him. Uh, When I do that, this body that I live in becomes a place of theftry, a place for robbery. Or do you not know that your body, Paul said a while ago, is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. That's what he tells us to do. When I don't glorify God in my body, I am a theft. I'm thievery. I'm taking what belongs to God as my own. A carnal Christian is a thief. We need to understand that. That applies to me, to all of us. Right in our temple. Let me give you the second thing. Not only pollution of the temple, but the purging of the temple. This is what I want you to see, how he purges the temple Matthew 21 verse 12 tells us and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and then John 2:15 is the same story only from John's account and making a whip of cords he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Now, who did this? Jesus did this. I want to tell you something this is not the the way that we have the Jesus of this Bible in our mind we don't see him as this at all he doesn't do this at all in fact, he came from the The Mount of Olives, he came down through the Kidron Valley. He went up into the eastern gate, walking right into there, and he saw all of that, and that's when all this has happened. And this is a posture we don't know Jesus in. You know, we think he's the mild and meek Galilean. And can you imagine all of a sudden what happens when he goes in there with a righteous indignation and he begins to turn everything over? You think about that for a moment as to what that looks like. Can you imagine what that would be like? God purges the temple in two ways. Don't miss this. The first one with a whip of chastisement. He'll use that in your life and my life. That's how God will clean us sometimes. Maybe you've experienced that. Now, when I'm saved, that doesn't mean that I can get dirty and it doesn't make any difference and God's going to do anything about it. Friend, that's not what the Bible says and that's, what not, that's not what the Bible means. It does what God does mean that when I, as His child, do not give Him the praise and the glory by living like I should, then I am going to be chastised. I am going to have cleansing, and many times it's by a whip of chastisement. That's the way He does it. We don't see God doing that at all, and we can't hardly imagine what all the chaos that came from that. But He says my house is to be called a house of prayer but well, you've made it a den of thieves a den of robbers and that's what he's talking about let me tell you something hebrews tells us first 12 chapter 12 verse 16 the lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every one, every son whom he receives friend he chastises his children that's the only way we know that we are his child you remember that whip in two, in, from John 2, verse 15? He knows how to take a whip and to clean out the place. I want you to know that. And He'll do that. He knows how to do it in our lives. Let me give you the second thing. Not only the whip of chastisement, but He will also be, will use us and bring us to a place uh, as partakers of chastisement. We're not going to only have a whip, but we're going to be a partaker of that chastisement. Nobody's going to get by that at all, including me. Hebrews 12 verse 15 verse 5 says, "And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he we weary when he reproves you." God's going to do that. He's going to discipline us. Now listen, People who are not Christians get away with a lot of stuff that God's children don't get away with in this world. you know that? He already tells us that. God's Word tells us that. Psalms 37, 35 says, I have seen a wicked, ruthless man not get away, uh, a ruthless, I'm skipping lines here, a ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. You may be thinking, I'm high, wide, and handsome. Everything's going all right with me. Well, friend, that ought to worry you because that probably means you're not a child of God. You're not a child of God. That's one of His ways of letting us know when He does chastise us and He does deal with us. He doesn't deal with the unsaved like He deals with His children. That, most of the, that that comes to the, that person who is not a believer, not a follower of Christ, not a child of God, comes later at the great white throne judgment in climaxing in hell. But for His children, a lot goes on in this life that God chastises us with. And He does that because He loves us. That's what it's all about. We're not only the partaker of chastisement, but the next one below that, the bullet below that, the promise of chastisement. Hebrews 12 verse 8 says, If you are left without discipline... Now listen carefully. If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, all of His children participate especially, then you are an illegitimate children and not sons. I didn't write that. I'm just reading it to you. The true child of God will be chastised, no ifs and buts about it. He will discipline us. He's going to clean house. And He'll take a whip to the temple if He needs to, to clean us. We're partakers of that. And it is promised to us. Let me tell you the purpose of that. The purpose of chastisement. Really the question is not punishment. Or the definition is not punishment. But it's correction. God corrects His children. Hebrews 12 verse 11. For the moment of discipline. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We're to be able to dispense the, the as, as he uses here, the righteous, the fruit of righteous discipline. It's what he's doing in us. For those who are trained by it. Now I want to tell you, you're looking at somebody who was trained by discipline. My mother and my daddy both knew about hickory switches. And every time before they would give me a switching on my legs with a hickory stick, they'd always tell me, We do this because we love you. Now, they didn't make any sense to me at all when they did that, when they said that. And you know what? For a few years, they loved me more than my sister or anybody else in my family. <laughs> I was loved a lot. But I want to tell you something. I look back today at what my parents did in the early years of my life when I was. Being trained for what God had called me to do and wanted me to do. I am so thankful for what they did. I am thankful for that. God says, I'm doing that to your temple. I'm doing that because I love you. I'm doing that because I have a purpose for you and that you're to perform and to exhibit this uh, peaceable fruit of righteousness. And it's not going to happen until the training happens in your life. There's a whip of chastisement that He does in my life. My life and your life, we become a a den of robbers and those who steal if He doesn't do that. He does that for us. And it happens when I fail to give the glory to God that belongs to Him through my mind and my spirit. I'll feel that whip. And you will feel that whip as a child of His. He not only purges the temple by a whip of chastisement, but He'll also do a work of confusion in your life. Confusion. Do you feel like your life is just confused? Is a lot of things not going like we want them to go? Well, I want to tell you something. God not only turned those tables over, but that chapter... And John chapter 2 verse 15 says, He made a whip of cords and he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and, or with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Can you imagine that? Here a God of order is bringing disorder. We don't like to see him in that way, but that's exactly what he's doing. He's doing that. Can you imagine what that was like when He walked up there? If you've stood around that, you know there's just big flat stones everywhere and the temple's setting there and Jesus walks into that place and He begins to take that whip that He has plaited and He begins to take that whip to all the people around there and He begins to drive them out, starting with the animals. Can you imagine? And then starting the coins as He began to turn over that. Can you imagine what it was like these people had all their nickels and dimes and quarters and half a dollars and dollars or whatever they had. They were all out there and that was turned over. And the animals were running in all different directions. And they were, some of those were big animals. You didn't want to get in front of them when they got spooked. And then those coins were running on those rocks everywhere and people were just scattering. The animals that were making all that noise were just getting out of there as fast as they could. Can you imagine the chaos Well, let me tell you something. It took me a while, some years ago, to realize that God will bring chaos to the life of His child when the life does not bring glory to Him. He does that. He does that. We make our plans. Plans on what we're going to do when we graduate. Plans on what we're going to do for a living. Plans on who we're going to have as a mate in our life plans on how we're going to retire, and then we go to God and we want Him to superimpose His will on top of our plans. He doesn't work that way, folks. And what happens is, down through my life and your life, all of a sudden there's just a lot of confusion in my life as a child of God. I'm really not sure what I'm supposed to do and why isn't this working. I thought this was going to be all right. Friend, that's God's chastisement in your life and in my life. I've had that. I know about that. Things not going as we thought they were was supposed to go. We're not to run our lives. We belong to Him. I want to tell you in the mornings when I get up, I don't want my hand to get up and say, Kent, guess what I'm going to do for you today? I'm going to write some letters. I'm going to shave you. I don't want my hand doing that. I want my hand just hanging over my side till I call on it. God doesn't want you doing those things until He calls you. We are to wait and to serve Him. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. I was bought at a great price. So were you as His child. I belong to Him, mind, will, and emotions. Every bit of me. Every bit of me. God don't want me to tell Him what to do. God wants me to say, Lord, You tell me what to do. You tell me what I am supposed to do. Here I am, Lord, and if you want to turn over my tables, if you want to change all the direction of my life that I've been heading, if you want to do any of this, you just feel free to turn it over, Lord. I belong to you. I belong to you. Your plan is always better than mine. I want your plan for my life. Listen, child of God, God's working in your temple. He's working in my temple. He's doing that. He's not working in your temple to make you prosperous or popular. He's cleaning house so that He might live and dwell with you and the right thing might be produced in my life and your life. And He'll, re- he'll turn over your neat little organized life, if that's what He has to do, to get your attention. Has He ever turned the tables on you? Boy, he has me. I want you to know. Well, He'll not live in a dirty house. There's the polluting of the temple The purging of the temple, and then I want you last to see the purpose of the temple. The purpose of the temple. Why do I exist as a child of God? Why did God make me, and why did God save me? Why all these things? Well, there's these purposes, three of them, that I want you to see as we close. When the house is purged and cleansed, the purpose will be seen more clearly. Clearly. You can't see it until that time as well. First of all, my temple is to be a house of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what it's supposed to be. What is the purpose of your life, child of God? What's the purpose of my life? It's to be a place of prayer. The sweet continual aroma of prayer is to be going up continually from my life. It's what God created me to do. is to be raised up out of this body, going out for the Lord. Let me tell you something. Prayer is not incidental. Prayer is fundamental. You've probably heard this before. And you know, Oswald Chambers made this statement. He said, prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Friend, you do prayer you're doing exactly what God called you to do and what He called me to do. In Luke 18, 1, they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. You know, there's times when I went to church and God really worked and there was a great spirit in the church and I'd go home and maybe that evening, that night when I went to bed, I didn't sleep good. I just sort of wrestled and turned. I got up the next morning just feeling like, bah. And I didn't feel much like praying at all. But God, it took me a while for God to realize He really don't care about my emotions or my feelings when it comes to going this matter of prayer. I'm to do it when I feel like it. I'm to do it when I don't feel like it. I'm to do it till I do feel like it. That's what prayer is supposed to be. That's what God intends for us to do. And that's what He wants done in our life. Our physical, emotional self will tell you everything and tell us everything. And it'll keep us from praying. But we're to offer up prayer from this body, First Samuel eleven thirteen. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord, ceasing to pray for you. There's a second thing that our prayer, our body is to be this a temple that we live in, is to be a place of power. If you read the rest of the story, and I'm not going to read it, but especially in Matthew, you'll find out that when he drove out all those people in the place of worship, the temple there and around the temple square, when he drove them out, some wonderful things happened when that happened. I didn't notice that until some years ago that I realized that. But I want you to know what happened in verse 21, chapter 21, verse 14, just right after that. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. It was a place of power. Not only a place of prayer, but a place of power. That's what it's supposed to be. And God wants to do that in our life. Now, Jesus worked miracles in the temple when the temple was cleansed. When my temple is cleansed, there will be power in my life and in your life as well. If somebody was blind in our congregation and they were given light, uh, sight and you knew they were blind before that miracle, you, would, you couldn't get over that. It would just be amazing that they could see after many years maybe of not being able to see at all. We get excited about that. But I want to tell you something, friend, and I want you to listen to carefully. When Jesus did miracles in the temple, and then he did miracles while he was here on earth in the flesh, these were to point us to greater miracles. To greater miracles, greater power which happens when the temple is clean. Yes, it's wonderful when the lame can walk and the blind can see and the, those with illnesses are healed. But I want to tell you something, friend. Listen carefully what I'm about to say. The miracles of glory are not as great as the miracles of grace. i got to say that again. I'm not sure you get it. The miracles of glory are not near as great as the miracles of grace. Listen, I want to tell you something. All Jesus Christ had to do was speak a word and a physical body would be healed or whatever He wanted done, healed. But do you know when Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ saved me, He had to put His Son on the cross to save me. He had to do that for you. That's much greater. We get excited about these others. And I'm not saying we're not. But you let some poor soul come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And sometimes we think, when are we going to get out of this place? Oh, my friend, we just got things so backwards. So backwards. He did these. And that's the reason he said, greater works would you do than he was able to do. What he did. Goodness. He put his son on that cross and turned his back on his son. That's what it costs to heal me spiritually and to heal you spiritually. It don't take any special effort to do the others. He could do that with a word, but when he saved souls, he died in agony in his own blood. God's supreme plan for mankind is for all of us that we might not miss heaven. That's His plan for our life, for my life and your life. And we don't see that. We see everything else. He's not willing that any should perish, He tells us. You and I are to be audiovisual Christians everywhere we go. Our spiritual eyes being opened to where you are then your body's not being what God intended it to be. Your temple's not what God intended it to be. When the temple is cleansed, it becomes a place of prayer and it becomes a place of power and it will no longer be a place, a den of thieves. But then the last thing he tells us is, it's a place of praise. 21, Matthew 21, 15 and 16 says, but when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out, in the temple, you remember that scene singing Hosea to the, son, to the son of David. They were indignant, these priests were. And they said to him, that's Jesus Christ. Do you hear those who are saying? Do you hear what those are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. We're to be a place of praise. You have prepared praise praise can you imagine what the halls of that temple was like when the praise began to ring out do you know the reason that i still live here in this flesh and the reason i can stand up here in front of you god wants me to give praise to him and when that comes when that time passes he'll take me home or when that time that i don't do that anymore he will cleanse the temple he knows how to do that That's the reason I'm still alive, that I might give glory and praise to the King of Kings. And I want to tell you, I have trouble with people who don't sing praises to God who claim to be His son or daughter. I've heard the old story, I can't sing a thousand times. Friend, thank God, He don't care about whether you can sing or not. He wants praises. He wants praises. And down through the years, I've watched people in churches that I pastored or churches I visited, and it seems like there's a bunch of people who just have lock jobs they're not going to be seen and you're not going to make them. No matter what. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own or you've been bought with a price. Let me give you some life application and I'm finally closing and I know you're glad. I just had all that I had to unload. Child of God, let me just tell you, about this and how we can apply it to our lives. Your father will not move out. My father will not move out. I want you to know that if my body don't praise him. Then I'm a den of thieves, and he's going to purge it. He's going to clean it up. Matthew five sixteen. In the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. For some, I want to ask, does God live in your house? Does He live in your house? Can I just tell you, I don't think He does. I've not experienced all that chastisement that you talked about. Life has gone pretty good for me. But I want to tell you something, friend. If you would acknowledge in all honesty that He doesn't live in you, then I want to tell you He wants to come and live in you. He says in His Word that He stands at the door and knocks and if anyone hears His voice and opens the door, He will come into them. You're the one that has to invite Him. Would you do that right now? Would you say, Yes, Lord want that you know I've just seen in these last three months what I really deserve but I need you Lord I need you more than anything else would you do that your life is a house Jesus stands there knocking at the door through his circumstances through his word through the things that happened in your life want you to open that door. But I found this passage also, 2 Chronicles 29.5. This is what God's Word says, and was spoken to the Levites, those who were the takers, the caretakers of the house of the Lord. He said, hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord. The God of your fathers. Now listen to this very last sign. And carry out the filth. Carry the filth out from the holy place. If you've listened and watched over the last several weeks our services, you've heard me say more than once, I believe all that's been happening is not for the world out there. I think it's for God's church. I think God wants to change His church. I know God wants to change His church, especially this one. And I believe God is saying something to us. I believe God has great plans. I think we're on the cusp of great things that God wants to do at Crossroads Fellowship. He's waiting. Church, are you willing to go with me? Will you go with me? There are so many things that lie out in front of us. This church has just sort of slept for the last four or five years, and that's not pleased to God. Our lives, we've slept, but God's not pleased with that. And God is saying, I want to change now so that I can do the works, the greater works, that I have planned for you as this body. So, child of God, especially as a member of this fellowship, I and you stand before God. Would you be willing to fulfill what He said? The God of your fathers, carry out the filth from the holy place. You know what it is in your life. I know what it is in my life. And I pray that we'll do that. At this time, what we would do, and we will not be doing it this way today, but we would receive our offering. I share with you that April the 15th, everybody knows what that is. And this year it's been moved to June the 15th. You've been given a reprieve. You weren't given an out, just a reprieve. It's that time of the year, the wonderful time of the year when we get back to our government in payment for what they give us. And how they give it to us. They receive that from the citizens, and we pay that. And I am thankful for what they do for us as a nation and as a citizen. But listen to this passage Psalms 116, verse 12. And what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What shall I render to the Lord? for all of his benefits. Let me challenge you to do something. You may already paid your taxes and have all that taken care of. But go back and check your taxes that you paid our government against the wonderful things that God has given you and me as his children that we have given him in tithes and offerings. See how well you've done Comparatively, how well have you done? Well, I just thank you for being here. Now, when we leave in just a moment, and Lance is back there somewhere, I think, and he's supposed to come and say something. Are you back there? I didn't know if you would left while I was preaching or not. I just want I, I to tell you, I am so thankful for you. Now, we will meet again. Next Sunday, at this time, we are not having small groups. And we won't until the government begins to open up child care, which will be about the middle of June, I think, is the last I saw. We will go back to having our child care in our small groups at that time. But until that time, we're just going to have this worship service. But I'll just tell you, I am so thankful to get to see you this morning. Just to talk to you. Oh, I've missed you.